earnest support, let us turn to God, our creator. Let us find in God, our renewer. You may be seated. Welcome. Welcome to Worship at Westminster. It is so good to be here with you today. If you're visiting with us, if this is just your first or second time here, a special welcome to you. I do want to invite everyone to our fellowship time after worship. It's in our Finley Hall, so just go out these doors to the left. We have some snacks, coffee, tea, a chance to be in conversation, to get to know one another just a bit better. If you're sitting here in the center aisle, if you take that pew register during the offering and put your name in it. If you're new to us, put some contact info in it. That way we can reach out to you during the week. That way you can also greet each other by name after worship. Let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray. Loving God, forgiving and renewing God, we want to approach you with openness and not fear. Some of us have been taught, however, to be ashamed of who we are, who we have been, or what we have done. We surrender that shame to you. We seek to acknowledge where we have fallen short or where we carry regret, that we might make amends and grow. Hear our confessions, receive our humble penitence, and restore us to better ways of being and being with one another. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet.
Amen. Friends, know that God is always with us. Know that God always loves us. Know that God always forgives us, setting us free to love and be loved. Thanks be to God. Amen. One of the ways that we build up the community is to share what's going on in our lives. So if there's a joy you have that would be meaningful to share with the congregation or a concern that you're carrying, just raise your hand and speak up when I call on you. One of the ways we build up the community... Oh, sorry. Nancy. Yeah. Thank you for opening our perspective there. Nancy um, calls our hearts that many of us are thinking of the, the year anniversary of the beginning of the war in Ukraine. And we open our hearts to the amount of loss and bloodshed and terror that has been unleashed in that part of the world. Jim. That's a great joy. Jim shares, Jim's connected with the Scouts, and as you know, Westminster now sponsors the local Boy Scout troop, and they complete another Eagle project at the Marin City at this community garden that they've done a lot of work building, so that's fantastic. I thought you were going to share the joy uh, about the Encountering Other Faith Traditions program that you've been involved with, and Reverend Floyd Tompkins, also from Marin City, presented on Thursday. I understand it was a wonderful time, so I'll, I'll double up your joy there. I saw a hand over here. Joan. Well, terrific. Welcome. Friends of Jones are friends of ours. It's wonderful to have you here. Uh, yeah. David. Whoa. Did you use the bumpers? Because I sometimes still use the bumpers. Wow. First strike in bowling. That's fantastic. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Lyndon. Terrific. Lyndon's lost her voice, so if you couldn't hear her, she also got her first strike in bowling. And, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, her sister-in-law is here, and we welcome you deeply to this place. See, once you guys open it up, it just keeps coming. This is great, Deb. That's terrific. She, Deb shares wonderful time with uh, grandkids over this past break, and I know others were together with family too. Let's come together in prayer. Let us pray.
Holy One, we find you not only in the depths of our sadness or concern, but in the heights of our laughter and joy in being together. We offer all these things shared over to you as an offering of prayer. And we acknowledge there are many things that go unsaid, too tender to leave the bounds of our heart, but we trust you to receive them with as much grace. And so now we join our voices and our hearts in offering the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
we decided, okay, what, maybe what we can do is if God is somewhere else, somewhere out there, maybe we can sacrifice things. And then the smoke or ash will follow up to God. And I have a couple of pictures of that. This is what was called an altar where people thousands of years ago, this is in Italy, uh, gave offerings to God. And they would put things on the sort of thing there and they'd set it on fire. And here's another one. This is in uh, modern day Israel. And the same thing. We would leave things there. We'd burn it. We'd seven, We'd do it. Give it to God. Have you ever seen Rob do that here? Yes. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. I got to tell you, it's really exciting. So, no, we don't, we don't do that anymore. We don't really set things on fire and offer it to God. But we do give an offering. You know, there's actually a part in the worship service. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, where it's called offertory, where we give an offering to God. Now, our altar looks a little different now. Our altar looks like this little plate. And it gets passed around, and people put things as, as a sort of offering to the church or an offering to God in it. I heard a story once, and I don't know if you've heard this story before, but if you have, I hope you hear it again, because it's worth repeating. There was a child in a church who saw people give money and things to the church and to God and said, I don't have any of this. And so what he did was he came down and he put the plate down and then he stood in it. And people said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I don't have any money to give, but I can give God myself. And so he gave himself to God. That was his idea. Well, that kind of all begs the question, then. What does God want? Does God want, like, an animal? Does God want our whole self? Does God want another box of cereal? Does God want, uh, you know, toys? Like, what does God actually want? You know, there is a prophet named Micah who explored this at one time. Talked about what does God want? And so, if you're wondering what God specifically might want, we're going to find out about that in a few minutes. And so we will follow Prince Grayson. And who else are we following? Mr. Randy? Out the door. So let's go find out. Go now in peace. The scripture reading today, excuse me, is Psalm 32. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. 
I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you at a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Confession. It's good for the... Oh, you pass. All right. Anybody know where that comes from, that phrase comes from? I didn't either. Don't feel bad. Turns out it's linked likely to an old Scottish proverb. Now, it may have roots in Scripture as well. In the book of James in the Newer Testament, there's a passage about the efficacy of prayer being tied to confession and forgiveness and the potential of prayer to offer healing. But the phrase itself likely comes from this Scottish proverb. The psalm that you just heard Jim offer sings like an aria of delight from someone who's experienced forgiveness. And if you've ever had that experience of having true forgiveness for something, you might have a sense of how beautiful that melody is. Sadly, however, as is the case in too many things, Religion has allowed that, that song to fall out of tune. Or to change the metaphor, what we've offered to people is not a cup of sweetness, but one that's bitter, if not poisonous, in and of itself. So let's see if we can reclaim it. Go back to the music metaphor. Allow it to sing again. Well, how did, how did the church get confession wrong? What are the ways that we've practiced it in a way that perhaps isn't so helpful for people? And the whole point is to be helpful, right? That's the whole point. Well, in some corners of the church, we emphasize and even mandate individual confession, where you have to come and say to the priest how you have been wrong. And while that can be a liberating experience, unfortunately for too many, it feels more like a sentence than a release from captivity. Now, in our corner of the tradition, we don't mandate individual 
confession, but we practice corporate confession most of the time in most churches such as this. We do it a little bit differently here, and I'll say more about that in a moment. But in many Presbyterian churches or Reformed Protestant churches, you go in and near the beginning of the service, you do a unison prayer in which you list lots of ways in which you have gotten it wrong. And in fact, we lean into that so heavily that we perhaps have gone really out of balance. The Celtic teacher that you know I follow, John Philip Newell, with whom I was on retreat just a couple of weeks ago, is fond of saying, why would I go to church to come in and at the beginning just go through a laundry list of all the ways in which we're all dirtbags? Only he doesn't say the word dirtbags. And I'll just leave it at that. If you were at 8.30, you got to hear me curse. So why would, I, why would I do that? Scott Clark, who's the pastor at First Presbyterian San Rafael, puts it a little bit more delicately. He says, why in churches such as ours do we put so much emphasis on the prayer of confession, all the ways in which we are wrong, and say so little in the words of assurance when we say we're forgiven, we're set free? Just once, he said, I want to hear a service in which we flip the scales and the assurance of grace and pardon is longer than the prayer of confession. We so emphasize that in our tradition. In fact, there is a doctrine in Reformed Christianity that's called total depravity. Good morning. You are totally depraved. Have a nice day. Contribute generously. And it's not so much about what's true as what's, what's helpful, what's going to be helpful for people's life of faith. Uh, a pastor that I worked under named Jim Carter, his daughter attends here, uh, would remind us as we served in a very affluent area, an affluent congregation, to be careful not to beat the people up on Sunday. Because he reminded us, these are the ones who are trying, right? I mean, they're here. They're trying to grow in faith. They're trying to be good people. Don't hammer them to death. Give them something to help them on their journey. Poignant words, I think. And it's a tragedy that we've sort of spoiled this gift of this ancient practice of confession because it is good for us. And if you don't believe the religious world, go to where most of us go when we don't trust the religious world. Go to the secular world to see the benefits of confessing. If you want to use a different word than confession, think of apologizing. Right? Similar concept. This uh, past couple of weeks, I read an article out of Harvard called The Power of Apologies. And it talks about the important role apologies can play and even gives very practical Instruction of how to offer a good apology, what makes a good one versus a poor one. How to, to know when to receive apology, when to offer one. How even to appropriately ask for an apology. Read an article in Psychology Today written by a woman who gives testimony to uh, the transforming effective apology in her own life. Her article is titled very similarly, The Power of Apology. One singular, the other one was plural. Interesting that both connect apology with power, that it somehow unleashes a kind of power. 
In it, she describes a lifelong estrangement from her mother. And she says at one point her mother finally apologized to her for what she would describe as a long life of emotional abuse. And she said hearing her apology was like hearing her finally recognize that there was a reason for all my hurt and all my anger. It legitimated her feelings, whereas before she probably carried a bit of doubt that maybe she was the one who was wrong and, and overreacting and out of balance. But her mother finally said, no, there's a, your reasons for feeling hurt and anger, angry are real. She said, apology changed my life. Apology changed my life. We haven't gotten rid of apology in this church. I mentioned we do it differently here. My predecessor, who was not afraid to go against the tradition, decided to do away with a prayer of confession instead offer a community prayer where we offer prayers of praise and prayers of seeking wisdom. And there's a piece in there almost every week of acknowledging confession, not losing the importance of apology, but putting it in a wider context of prayer. And so hopefully that grace feels a little more in balance here. Now, I want to stop here and acknowledge the weight I may have invited into the room. Because as I share, I'm, I'm hoping some of you are, are reflecting on your own life experience, and it may be stirring some things that are painful for people whether it's a broken relationship they've had in their life, perhaps for a long, long time. And maybe you're waiting for an apology in desperate need of a deep acknowledgement of your own hurt and anger. And some of you may be sitting with the uncomfortable truth that you will never get that apology, either because it's literally impossible or practically impossible. Others of you may be realizing, allowing to come to the surface what's been hiding under there, the realization that you are the one who needs to be offering some kind of confession or apology to someone else in your life. And either you can't literally offer it or pragmatically you haven't been able to get there. Now, I can't clean any of that up for you. But actually, the job of the church isn't to clean any of that up for you. The job of the church is to be a loving community and hold in a prayerful and gracious space all that others carry without judgment. That's what we're called to do. Remember, James tied the efficacy of prayer to this honest space and the capacity of prayer to offer healing. So if nothing else, you should be sitting right now with that kind of prayer because you don't know what your neighbor is going through right now. Okay. If you're one of the ones that's struggling to, to get there with confession, there's confession to God or confession to neighbor, maybe a helpful thing would be to just shift the language. Let go of the loaded religious language of a word like confession, which feels so heavy, and move into something lighter and more neutral, like telling the truth. We can all agree that's a good thing. 
There's a ministry in Philadelphia called Broad Street Ministries, and one of the things they do well is they interpret the liturgy for what I will call normal people who don't go to church regularly. So and they come to the prayer of confession in the service. They'll say, this is the moment in the service where we practice telling the truth about ourselves. I love that. It's just freer. And then they acknowledge the ways in which they may participate in harmfulness or be complicit in it, and so on and so forth. When we tell the truth about ourselves, we do indeed open up power. You release something. Years ago, I was listening to an episode of NPR's This American Life, and they had a vignette on it called The Apology Line. And it was about a man named Alan Bridge, who in 1980 set up a voicemail box. For those of you who are young, voicemail was where you used to... <laughs> On phones, we used to call people. <laughs> Sorry, that's condescending. Anyway, they set up a voicemail box where people would call and could apologize for anything without getting a response or any judgment or any shame. They could just leave a message. And it's unbelievable the kinds of things people shared. I won't quote any of them, but you can go listen to the episode for yourself if you'd like. Some of what you'll hear is very mundane and seem odd that maybe an adult was carrying this burden with them into adulthood, but clearly some transgression they'd committed as a young person had stayed with them and they just needed to get it off their chest. That's how much power not confessing has over our lives. And so they had a place they could just let it loose. And other confessions are staggering. So I'll warn you, if you go listen to that episode, what you will hear may be triggering, may be traumatic, may be um, disturbing. So just be forewarned. But all the more reason, all the more evidence that it's important to have a space you can go to release the burden that you've been carrying. Just the degree of power of the apology line really hit home when Bridge died suddenly in 1995, and his wife Marissa reflected on that experience because she said what happened was this outpouring of grief to the apology line, knowing that they were losing this safe space to confess. Because they didn't have it in a church, clearly. And this is how she reflected on that experience of loss. She said, one thing that really struck me after he, Alan, died, was that I really turned into an apology line caller, someone I would define as an apology line caller. And the line was over. So when I really needed the line, it wasn't there. I was just completely lost, and I would have loved to have been able to call the apology line and have someone like Alan on the other side, very sympathetic and understanding, to help me get through it. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. I'm a much darker person than I was before he died. And I think I understand the callers in the line much better than I ever did before. You hear the effect of that? When you lose that connection to a place that you can confess and be released, you hear what happens. Okay, I've brought you pretty dark down into the pit here. Now, it's the beginning of Lent, so you deserve it. <laughs> No, but that's the legacy. You believe that, right? Because that's the legacy of the church. Why is it like that? 
What about lifting us up? What about something more helpful? Well, the, the faith practiced well is precisely what should be helpful. Because confession should release us from these things that we carry, that we burden us, that weigh us down. Remember what the psalm said just a few moments ago that you heard. Happy is the one whose transgressions have been forgiven. It's too weak a translation. A better translation is blessed is the one. Blessed is the one whose transgressions have been forgiven. You enter into this blessed, spacious realm when you accept the invitation to confess and to receive the forgiveness that we've been promised as an inheritance. And yet so many of us resist going into that space. Instead, we hide from it. Now, why do you think we hide from it? Why do we hide from telling the truth about ourselves? Because we've been taught to be afraid of what will happen if we do. And I think we think we don't do it because God or our neighbor will punish us for all the bad things we've done and thought and said. But I actually think if you went deeper, you might discover that we hide from that space because of the good we know we will find there and we don't believe we deserve it. And we can't handle that level of discomfort. Pastor David Lowe tells a story, he's a professor and writer as well, about a, a father and a young son scuffling. It's that time between dinner and bedtime and that's when things can come undone. If you're a parent, you may know that experience. And so they're getting into it and finally the young son named Benjamin snaps at his dad and says, Daddy, I hate you. Oh, and if you're a parent, you just... Oh. And in an unbelievable moment of being grounded and uh, in control of himself, the father says... Ben, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I love you. And Benjamin can't take that. And he, the father keeps saying it, and he says, Stop it, Daddy. Stop saying that. He says, Listen, Benjamin, I love you like it or not. <laughs> like it or not, this is the choice. God loves you. You can choose to not or you can choose to like it. And it's a little scary, and it's a lot beautiful. The message is you don't have to hide. You don't have to hide. There's that tale we tell of Adam and Eve in the garden, and we obsess about all the bad they've done, and, and, and the consequences of that, and how sinful they are, and the consequences of that. But there's this wonderful piece that we probably are so built up with feelings that we just pass over by the time we get to it, where after the transgression, God comes searching for them in the garden. The divine presence comes seeking them out. And what does God say to them? You are terrible people. No, you, thank you for shaking your head. God says, why are you hiding from me? Why are you hiding? You don't need to hide. It's safe. You don't need to hide. I was trying to figure out what to say today um, when I was 
writing this, and uh, I did what I often do when I get stuck. I get up and I just go do something. Often just, just to walk down the hallway will do it. And this time I looked over to my shelf and I saw these uh, silver polish wipes that I'd ordered a few weeks ago because I had this silver piece in the office that's gotten all tarnished and I needed to polish. I thought, oh, I'll get up and I'll polish that just to get my mind going some stuck. And uh, it's right here. One of you gave it to me. It's this beautiful um, Celtic uh, cup. It's called, I think I'll say this right, Scotty's not here to correct me, thanks be to God. Um, <laughs> but I think you say it's a, it's a quake. And uh, so I was, I was at the sink upstairs and I was working on it. And then it hit me. You know why it's shaped like this? Uh, have handles like this so that when you have someone over, you can take a drink and then you offer it to them, and they take a drink out of the other side. And that's when it clicked for me. That's when it clicked. Confession is about restoring relationship. Confession is not about reveling in what dirtbags we are, or that other word. It's about doing what we need to do to make sure that we're fertile soil, we can grow something. Confession is not being sentenced in isolation to some terrible uh, self-reflection that's not productive. Confession is being set free so you can grow and so you can help others grow. From Scottish proverb to Scottish cup, confession is good for the soul because it's good for the whole. So it's Lent, folks. Do not abstain. Drink up. Amen. You are peace, 
You are peace when my fear is crippling. You are true, you are true, even in my wandering. You are joy, you are joy, you're the reason that I sing. You are life, you are life, in you death has lost its sting. Oh, I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms, the riches of your love. Will always be enough Nothing compares to your embrace Light of the world forever You are more, you are more Than my words will ever say You are Lord, you are Lord all creation will proclaim you are here you are here in your presence i may hold you are god you are god of all else i'm letting go oh i'm running to your arms i'm running to your arms the riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace. Light of the world forever I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Light Amen. You may be seated. It is the season of Lent. We have several special Lenten events happening. I encourage you to check out all the announcements here in the bulletin. At noon, every Tuesday and Thursday, Rob and I are leading a time of Lenten prayer. 
very brief, you know, 15 minutes, but a chance during your lunchtime to just take a moment to pause in prayer. We read some scripture together. It's online. You can find the link um, on our website, on the calendar, or in the e-news if you receive the e-news. And if you would like to receive the e-news, let me know. Uh, we're starting a Lenten study on forgiveness on Wednesday mornings at 9.30. You are certainly welcome to come to that. We also have a Lenten devotional up on our website. If you go to the members page, I think it's the first option on the members page, a reading um, for every week. Um, there's also little illustrations that if you want to print out the devotion, they're meant to, for coloring, not just for kids. Uh, but you can find that on the members page. If you need the password, just let me know. Um, and finally, we have a two great events coming up sponsored by our Westminster events team. Uh, the first one of the two is next week, um, hearing from the woman who started a program called Humans of San Quentin. Um, that should be great. Rob's going to be interviewing her. Um, we do need a couple folks to help with hospitality if you're available, um, welcoming people as they arrive, um, helping with the reception that will be afterwards. These are events where you know, the whole community is invited, and we want to make them feel welcomed here at Westminster. So uh, Gwen Mauvais is sitting right there if you are able to help next week. I think she even has a sign-up in her hand, so you can see Gwen about that. Um, now I invite you, standing or sitting, uh, to join in our closing hymn, which is number 446.
Friends, as you go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day, be with you every day. Amen. Amen. Thank you.